0: Chapter two, the global environment. Learning objectives. You want to identify the changes in the world economy over the last 100 years. Talk about some of the most powerful um, mega trends, who the players are. Explain all the Top-level things involved in going globally. The world economy overview. In the early 20th century, economic integration was 10%. It's half. 50% today. The EU and NAFTA, global competitors, have displaced or absorbed local competitors. 75 years ago... The landscape in the automotive industry was totally different. Renault, Citroën, Peugeot, Morris, Volvo. They all produced vehicles so different than American car manufacturers like Chevrolet, Ford, Plymouth, or those Japanese automobiles made by Toyota or Nissan. Today, manufacturers make autos for home markets but are increasingly global. The 2008 Ford Fiesta was introduced to the world. The new realities are capital movements have replaced trade as a driving force of world economy. The dollar value of world trade in goods and services was $16.5 trillion in 2015. However, the Bank for International Sentiments calculated that the foreign exchange transactions were worth approximately $5 trillion every day. That's 1 quadrillion annually a figure which surpasses the dollar value of world trade in goods and services. That's an inescapable conclusion that global capital movements far exceed the dollar value of global trade. In other words, currency trading represents our world's largest market. GDP you calculate it by adding consumer spending that's C, investment spending that's I, government purchases G and net exports is NX. So C plus I plus G plus NX equals GDP. The second change that concerns the relationship between productivity and employment. U.S. manufacturing share of GDP declined from roughly 19.2% in 89 to 13% in 2009. In 2011, manufacturing employed only 9% of the workforce The figure was 26%. During that 40-year period, productivity has increased dramatically. Similar trends can be found in other industrial economies, such as the UK. Manufacturing share of jobs only 8%, compared with 24% in 1980. One recent study of 20 large economies found that between 1995 and 2002, more than 22 million factory jobs were eliminated. That is a decline in employment, which results as a result of a decline in manufacturing. The third change was the emergence of the world economy as the dominant economic unit. Real secret of economic success of a Japan or a Germany is that their business leaders and polymo- policy makers focused on being competitive in world markets. So this change brings about two questions: How does this economy work, and? Who, if anyone, is in charge? Unfortunately, as you're about to find out, there's no easy answer. There are new realities in the world struggle between capitalism and socialism that began way back in the early 1900s. E commerce diminishing the importance of national barriers, forcing companies to reevaluate or blow up their business models. The Cold War ended. Communism was coming to a close. Economic and political systems had to be explained in a straightforward manner. Matter, let's be real: communism is just not an effective economic system. The overwhelming superior performance of the world economies have given leaders in socialist com- countries little choice but to renounce their ideology and to introduce some type of democratic form reform. Fifth change relates to e-commerce. PC and internet have in so many ways diminished international boundaries and national boundaries. Two-thirds of American households have PCs, although those PCs are dying and more people are dealing with smartphones. Worldwide, over one billion people use personal computers. This is the so-called information age where time and place have been subverted by a transactional cyber world. The 24-7... Place we all live, Amazon.com, eBay, Facebook, Google, Groupon, iTunes, Priceline, Twitter, YouTube, just some of the few as the economy pushes on in the new world. Globalization has made it harder to pigeonhole economies with that four-cell matrix. Also consider the type of economy. Is it an advanced industrial state? Is it an emerging or economy in transition? Or is it a developing nation? The type of economy is the nation... Is the nation an advanced industrial state? <laughs> stay that again, Tom. Is the nation an advanced industrial state, an emerging economy, or a transitioning economy, or a developing nation? So is it advanced, emerging, transitioning, or developing? developing. Type of government is the... Nation ruled by a monarchy, dictatorship, or a tyrant? Is there an autocratic one-party system? Is the nation dominated by another state, or is it a democracy with a multi-party system? Is it an unstable or terrorist nation? Next, trade and capital flows. Is the nation characterized by almost completely free trade or incomplete free trade? Is it part of a trading bloc? Is there a currency board, some type of exchange controls? Is there no trade? Or does the government dominate trade possibilities? The commanding heights, transportation, communication, energy. Are these sectors state-owned and operated? Is there a mix of state and private? Are they all private, with or without controlled prices? These are the very things that we're going to get into in our project, our geographic, key geographic marketplace project answering these questions about the country that we are given. Services provided by the state and funneled through taxes, pensions, healthcare, education. Are they provided pensions and education, not healthcare do privatized systems dominate. How about institutions? Is the nation characterized by transparency standards or absence of corruption, free press, strong courts, or is corruption a fact of life? The press dominated by the government, standards ignored and the court system compromised. How about markets? Does the nation have a free market system? Is it characterized by high risk, high reward entrepreneurial dyna- dynamic um, industries? Is it market? Is it a free market? Dominated or is it dominated by monopolies, cartels, concentrated industries? Is it a socialized market, or is there cooperation among business? government and labor but is there entrepreneurial support is planning including price and wage controls controlled by the center i have a figure there about the economic systems that you need to understand and look at market capitalism it's practiced all the way around the world most notably in eastern europe i'm sorry western europe and north america all market oriented economies do not function in an identical manner USA is characterized by its competitive free-for-all and decentralized initiative. Japan is called Japan Incorporated because it is a tightly run, tightly regulated economic system which is market-oriented. Western market systems, I also want you to study that table 2.1 where you can look at the different models and, and how those play out in the countries. Next, it's important you understand the centrally planned socialism that's opposite of capitalism Marxism is utterly vanquished if not entirely extinct as an alternative economic system. Capitalism has become triumphant. The ideological conflict first joined in the mid 19th century in response to the rise of in- industrial capitalism the deep argument that has preoccupied political imagination for 50 years is ended. That is according to Word- William Grindere who wrote the book, One World Ready or Not, The Manic Logic of Global Capitalism for Decades. The economies of China, the former Soviet Union, India, they all function within this tenet of centrally planned socialism. Now all three countries are engaged in economic reforms, characterized in part and certainly varying proportions of increased reliance on market allocation and private ownership. Even as China's leaders attempt to maintain control over their society, as most noted recently in Hong Kong, they acknowledge the importance of economic reform. At a recent assembly, the Chinese Communist Party said reform is an inevitable road for invigorating their economy and promoting social progress. But as we all know, we've had some real problems with how China operates in business. Centrally planned capitalism... That's an economic system. I uh, shall I say, in reality, market capitalism and centrally planned socialism do not exist in pure form. Most countries have some lesser or greater degree command and market resource allocation. They practice these simultaneously. Private and state resource ownership exist alongside each other. The role of government in modern market economies varies widely. Look at Sweden. Two-thirds of all expenditures are controlled by the government. Resource allocation is more voter-oriented than market-oriented. Their welfare state has a hybrid system with elements of both centrally planned socialism and capitalism. Swedish government ownership. They own the telecoms, 45%, banking, 20%, stock exchange, 7%, airline, 21%, alcohol, 100%. Government owned it until it was sold to France. France. China, the province operates within a market system. Their private sector accounts for 75% of national output. <coughs> stages of world development, although the income definition for each of the stages is arbitrary, countries within a given category generally have a number of characteristics in common. BRICS nations <coughs> that is, Brazil, Russia, India, China. South America. You need to know these terms. They're expected to be key players in global trade, even though their records on human rights, environmental protection, and other issues are under scrutiny from trading partners. They're going to come under pressure at home as their developing economies are creating a greater income disparity, and we're seeing the impact of that By the way, BEMs are certified, uh, identified 10 years ago. Those were countries in Central Europe, Latin America, and Asia that had rapid (coughs) growth. (coughs) Excuse me. The World Bank has defined four categories under gross national income as base. Economic freedom. The Washington, D.C. Heritage Freedom Foundation, a conservative think tank, ranks countries by the degree of economic freedom they support there's a high correlation between the degree the degree of economic freedom and the extent to which a nation's mixed economy is heavily market oriented a number of key variables are considered trade policy taxation policy government consumption of economic output monetary policy remember economics class capital flows foreign investment, banking policy, wage and price controls, property rights, regulations, black market. Hong Kong and Singapore are ranked first and second in terms of economic freedom. Venezuela, Cuba, North Korea, lowest. The rocket man. The authoritarian state capitalism of Singapore deprives its citizens of free speech, of free press and free assembly. In 1992, the government banned the import, manufacture, and sale of chewing gum because discarded gum made a mess on their public property. Even though it's now for sale in pharmacy, you must register your name and address for buying it. So there Singapore citizens are provided for by the government that administers paranoid control over the press and politics. But they are well-housed and fed. They are far from free. This shows the example That some aspects of free economies bear little more than a passing resemblance to a command-style economic system. I want you to look at the chart of the economic freedom rankings. I was surprised that we came in number 17th, can't lie to you. Low-income countries, sadly those that have a per capita of $1,005 or less, Many low-income companies have se- countries have serious economic, social, political problems. No-growth economies such as Rwanda. High percentage of the population living at the national poverty line. Others, once stable com- countries with growing economies have become divided by political struggles. Civil strife, flat income. Civil wars, danger other low income countries have rebounded sharply rwanda's per capita gni has increased 100% from 2006 to 2016 they're they're making changes to try to improve however we It remains to be seen how they'll they'll do. Lower middle income countries. That's where the per capita rises from $1,006 to $3,955. It's a rapidly expanding consumer market. Cheap, motivated labor. Mature, standardized, labor-intense industries like footwear, textiles, toys. 50 bottom-ranked countries are LDCs, least developed countries. India is only brick, is the BRICS nation. That's the only one. There are opportunities still here, however, for growth. Table 2.3 ranks. Uh, you stand quite low in terms of economic freedom. And I just uh, slaughtered that definition, or the pronunciation of that country. And that's because of the risky business environment. In which there is a lower middle class income. That's why there are no Western food chains there, no Starbucks, no McDonald's. And so hopefully they'll get to the place where they'll be attractive to invest in that country. Right now, upper middle income countries, we see the GMP per capita move from 3,956 to 12,235. Rapid industrialization, less agricultural employment, increasing urbanization, rising wages, lower wage costs. BRICS countries are Brazil, Russia, China, South Africa. Brazil is the largest country in Latin America in terms of its size, economy, population, and geographic territory. Brazil also boosts the richest reserves of natural resources in the hemisphere. China, Brazil's top trading partner has an insatiable appetite for iron ore and other commodities. Government policies aimed at stav- stabilizing British's, Brazil's, excuse me, macroeconomy have yielded impressive results. Their GNI grew steadily over 10 years from 2003 to 2013. During that same time period, tens of millions of Brazilians have joined the middle class as incomes and living standards have risen. Needless to say, this has been a boon to companies doing business in Brazil, such as Electrolux, Fiat, Ford, GM, Nestle, Nokia, Toyota, Unilever, Whirlpool. Typical of companies at this stage of development, Brazil's in a study of contrast. Grocery distribution uses logistics software to route their trucks. Meanwhile, you'll see horse-drawn caught horse horse-drawn carts on roads it's very common sight. to keep pace with the volatile financial environment many retailers invest in sophisticated computer and communication system they use sophisticated inventory management software thanks to their strength in computers the country's outsourcing sector is growing rapidly Geographically, Brazil's part of America, but it's also European because of its culture and global, because of its interests. China's a case study on how to jumpstart a nation's economic growth. They leveraged their central planning economic model, poured money into infrastructure improvements like highways and railways. Soon, their economy was growing at double-digit pace. Countries in Australia, Brazil, Indonesia imported goods to China. Avon, Coke, Dell, General Motors... VW were among the, those that source um, parts and products from China, pursuing opportunities to set up there and grow their companies. Newly industri- industrializing economies. Lower, middle, and upper income economies with the highest sustained rates of economic growth. They're providing a greater industrial output than developing countries. The next 11 That's been identified by Goldman Sachs, Egypt, Indonesia, the Philippines, Mexico, Turkey. Mistaken assumptions about BOP. Poor have no money. They can't do anything more than buy their basic needs. They enter developing markets. You don't want to go there. It's fruitless because their goods are too cheap. You can't make a profit. The bottom of the period. That's what it stands for. BOP, bottom of the period. Countries can't use technology. These are assumptions that are wrong. Ask students to think of low-income areas in the U.S., urban or rural. What do you think, students? How do you apply these assumptions? Yes, poor people do buy cell phones, Air Jordans, 50-inch high, high high-def televisions. Despite difficult economic conditions in Southeast Asia, Latin America... Many nations in these reasons will evolve into attractive markets. We must monitor them. The role of marketing is to identify people's needs and wants, to focus individual and organizational efforts to respond to those needs and wants in the same countries, irrespective of development economically. When global marketers respond to the needs of rural residents in emerging markets like China and India, they're more likely to gain all important government support and approval. For example, if you pursue alternative energy uh, sources, that's important for them. It's important for us. Recognizing this fact, Nestle uh, launched Pure Life bottled water in Pakistan. They set the price about 30 cents a bottle, 35 cents a bottle. Their advertising promised pure safety, pure trust, the ideal water. Quickly, they captured half of the bottled water market. The brand has been rolled out in dozens of other low income countries. Coke has begun trying this as well with a beverage um, to fight amnesia, blindness and other ailments related to malnutrition. There's also an opportunity, sorry, an opportunity to help developing countries join the internet economy. High-income countries, that's where the GNI per capita is $12,236 or more. These are known as advanced, developed, industrial, post-industrial countries. Characteristics, sustained in economic growth through disciplined innovation. Households have extremely high ownership levels of basic products. The first post-industrial country term, phrase, was used by Daniel Bell to describe the U.S., Sweden, Japan, and other highly high-income societies advanced. In his book, The Coming of the Post-Age, he drew a distinction between the industrial and post-industrial stages of, company, of country development that went beyond mere sources of income. He believed that the sources of innovation in post-industrial societies are derived increasingly from the codification of theori- theoretical knowledge, rather than random inventions. The service sector accounts for more than half of the national output, the processing and the exchange of information becomes increasingly more important. Product and marketing opportunities in the post-industrial society are more heavily dependent on new products and innovations than in industrial societies. Ownership levels in basic products are extremely high in most households, making it difficult to expand market share. So companies, therefore, must bring new products to market or create new markets for products. Look what South Korea did in 2009. They're home to Samsung, LG, Kia Motors, Daewoo, Hyundai, and other well-known global enterprises. In place of substantial barriers to free trade, they've initiated major reforms in its political economic system in response to the Asian flu. Even so... Investors note the political risk posed by North Korea. Another concern is inconsistent treatment of foreign investors by the government. For example, authorities recently raided the local offices of the French retailer Carrefour. High-income countries, more characteristics, important uh, knowledge through information processing and exchange, knowledge over capital, Intellectual over machine technology, scientists and professionals over engineers and semi-skilled workers. Their uh, high-income countries are future-oriented and they believe in the importance of imp- impersonal, interpersonal relationships. The G7. Let's go through the major players. G7, the group of seven. U.S., Japan, Germany, France, Britain, Canada, Italy. The leader is the host country, The G8, uh, you can see the rotation of those. If you're interested, I have them for you. Russian memberships, um, they are a member of the G20, uh, despite Donald Trump's attempts to try to get them back recently into the 7. They were kicked out for uh, bad behavior. G20 is the group of 20 established in 1999. Includes developing nations like Argentina, Brazil, India, Indonesia, and Turkey. Uh, and they remain a, a member, Russia. Argentina, again, I'll give those to you so you get all 20. Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, France, Germany, India, Indonesia, Italy, Japan, Korea, Mexico, Russia, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, Turkey, the UK, United States of America, plus the European Union, and the uh, European Central Bank. OPEC, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, 35 Nations, post-W2, WW2, World War II, Based in Paris, Canada, U.S., came in 61. Japan is 64. 35 nations belong um, to the OECD. Uh, It is a think tank, uh, a rich man's club, it's been called anyway. Their uh, goal is to enable its members to achieve the highest sustainable economic growth and improve the economic and social well-being of their populations. Today's organization is based in Paris. It evolved to uh, rebuild the region, and it's been great and successful. And uh, we were working together pretty good under some trade agreements, but uh, Trump, uh, the current president, uh, has uh, thrown uh, some confusion and, uh, let's just say, monkey wrench into the relationships that we've had with our allies. Product saturation levels, uh, stages of this economic development We're going to see more saturation. Uh, The way, for example, Otis Elevators measures elevator, elevator populations in countries is the number of units installed per thousand people. So in China, that number today is about one half of an elevator per thousand person. In most countries outside of the world... I shall say, in most countries outside of the U.S., people live in elevator and storied apartment houses all over Europe, all over Asia, South America, China. So in a mature market like Europe, the installed population is about six elevators per 1,000 people. And so we're on our way to some portion of six in these countries. You look at uh, the potential buyers' Or households who can own a product in India, 700 million debit cards are out there, but only 7,700 retailers can read them. Card readers, there's one machine per 119 in Europe, one reader per 25 in the U.S., one per 60 in China. Autos, there's eight per every 1,000 people in India, 200 per every 1,000 in Russia, 565 for every 1,000 in Germany. That shows you what potential you have. Balance of payments. The balance of payments is divided into the current and capital accounts. Current account is a broad measure that includes merchandise trade, such as manufactured goods, services trade, such as intangible, experience-based economic output, plus certain categories of financial transfers, such as humanitarian aid, A country with a negative current account balance has a trade deficit. That is, outflow of money to pay for imports exceeds the inflow of money from sales of exports. Again, you remember this from Economics 101. Conversely, a country with a positive current account balance has a trade surplus. The capital account is a record of all long-term direct investment, portfolio investment, and other short-term and long-term capital flows. Table 2.7 shows you your top exporters and importers in the, US, in the world uh, merchandise trade. Thanks in part to the achievements of the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, called GATT, and the WTO, World Trading Organization, world merchandise trade has grown at a faster rate than world production since the end of World War II. Put differently, that means import and export growth has outpaced the rate of the increase in GNI which is pretty stout. Uh, it's totaled $16.5 trillion in 2015. That it was a little modest downturn. Overview of international finance. Important to understand. This market consists literally of buyers and sellers market where currencies are traded for both spot and future currency on a continuous basis. As noted earlier, $5 trillion in currencies is traded every day. It's the biggest market globally. It's available for instant delivery, immediate. That's called the forward market. A true market is where prices are based on the combined forces of supply and demand. Who are the participant the participants in the first market? First, the country's central bank can intervene. China China excuse me, China currently holds trillions of dollars of US Treasury securities. These purchases help ensure China's currency is relatively weak compared to the US dollar. Secondly, some of the trading in the foreign exchange market takes the form of transactions needed to settle accounts. For example, Porsche, that's a German company. The dollar spent on the Porsche by American car buyers must be converted to euros. Finally, finally, currency speculation also participates in the foreign exchange market. Devaluation results when a government uh, does an action or forces a, or an economic crisis comes about. Whatever the cause, devaluation the is a reduction in the value of the nation's currency against other currencies. In August 1998, the Russian economy exploded. The ruble plunged in value. Imploded. I'm sorry, it didn't explode. It imploded. Why am I thinking? Everything went bad. Russia had to face up to wage cuts, layoffs, savings were wiped out. However, The decade that followed, they made a rapid recovery, GDP, real GDP doubled because import price increases caused by the ruble's devaluation stimulated local production. One economist said the crash of 98 really cleared out the microeconomy, cleaned it all out so they could grow again. However, in 2014, it was deja vu. Oil prices crashed, ruble fell once again in free fall in terms of value. During the past few years, the Chinese government has been criticized for undervaluing their currency to support exports. Washington has had problems with this, and this is part of our trade issue with them now. It's uh, you know something we're going to look at further. I don't want to get caught up in it now, but this is where it starts right here. A lot of pressure is being put on the consumer price index. In China, helping Beijing meet its goal of keeping inflation under control, global automakers such as BMW, GM, Volkswagen that use China as a place to to assemble their car uh, would reap benefits of lower costs. This has to be worked out for American companies in general. Overview of international finance also looks into the foreign exchange, making it possible to do business across the border of the national currency Currency of various countries are traded for both immediately, that's the spot market, and futures, that's the forward delivery market. Currency risk adds turbulence to global convenience, as well as world risk, is what's taking place. Foreign exchange markets dynamic, of course, supply and demand. We know how that plays out. Again, Economics 101. Economic exposure refers to the impact of currency fluctuations on the present value of the company's financial performance. It occurs when sales are on in a foreign currency. For example, Nestle, 98% of their sales are generated outside their home country. Eurozone countries like GlaxoSmithKline, Daumler generate one-third of their sales in the United States. Among countries in the eurozone, GlaxoSmith finds that uh, they have to deal with the the volatility of the dollar relative to the euro, just like all other companies in this uh, zone. GE generates 45% of its revenues in the the domestic market, 14% in in Europe, so the relative extent of their exposure is less and those companies that I just mentioned, such as Smith Klein, Domler BP. The effects of a stronger U.S. dollar compared to mainly the euro, Brazilian real, and Canadian dollar decreased consolidated revenues by 4.9. That's what GMG faced Anyway, in dealing with the economic exposure introduced by currency fluctuations, a key issue is whether the company can use price as a strategic tool for maintaining its margins. You have to ask questions like this. Can the company adjust prices and respond to a rise or fall of foreign exchange rates? And that depends on the price elasticity of demand, which you know from Economics 101. The less price sensitive the item is, the demand, excuse me, the greater the flexibility at... Co- a company has in responding to exchange cha- rate changes for example in the 80s Porsche ra- raised prices in the US three times in result to the weak dollar and as a result their US sales dropped from 30,000 vehicles in 1986 to 4,592 managing economic exposure there's also techniques and strategies that have been developed to reduce rate, uh, these risks. Hedging is one. That's where you uh, establish an offsetting currency position. So the loss or gain of one will be offset by the loss or gain of the other. For example, Porsche relies on currency hedging rather than price increasing to boost pre-tax profits. The manufacturer older cars in Europe generate 45% of their sales in the U.S., so they face some economic exposure stemming from that relatively uh, their value of the dollar compared to the euro. So they fully hedge themselves, taking currency positions to establish and protect earnings from their foreign exchange movements. The company forecasts indicate value of the foreign currency will weaken against the home currency. That, then you, what you can do there is hedge to protect against potential transition losses. When it is anticipated that the foreign currency will aggregate, which means strengthen, against the home currency, then a gain rather than a loss can be expected on foreign transactions. This may be the best decision not to hedge at all. May is the word I'm using here because many companies like to hedge anyway. Unless management is convinced the foreign currency is going to strengthen. That is chapter two. I agree there's a lot there, but it is really important that you start to understand some of these things. Listen to the podcast and then listen and watch the PowerPoint. Review it afterwards and grasp this information, understand these terms. This subject matter builds on each module. See you next time. Okay, chapter three, we're going to look at the global trade environment, and this is a, it's one of those chapters that you really need to have a basic understanding of each of these different types of trading groups. Not that you have to know exactly what countries are in each of them, but an idea as to what is functioning out there in the global marketplace So our learning objectives for this chapter is to explain the role of the World Trade Organization, how it facilitates um, relations among nations. I want to look at the types, the four main categories of preferential trade agreements, get into uh, NAFTA, identify the four main uh, trade agreements in Latin America, the key members, identify Asia Pacific region, uh, Europe, Middle East. Africa, so there's going to be a lot of things here that you might be seeing for the first time. So this podcast and the PowerPoint will just be highlighting the main points, and I recommend that you get familiar with each of them, maybe put together conceptual maps of each of the major trading zones in a notebook and refer to it so you know at least who the players are and how the world is set up. So the first I want to talk about is the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade. It was established in 1947. It was uh, to help handle trade disputes. It was nicknamed the General Agreement to talk and talk and talk because there was no enforcement power. These disputes that took place lasted for years, and so in 1995, the World Trade Organization replaced it. That's a forum for trade-related negotiations among its 160 members. It's based in Geneva. This dispute mediator where you have a 60-day negotiation period and it advances to a panel for a resolution um, and uh, basically was brought about to improve world trade. Now, preferential, preferential trade agreements are when countries seek to lower barriers to trade between themselves. They give the partners special treatment and On the other side, discriminates possibly against others. There has been over 300 of those preferential trade agreements that have been notified. Uh, Trying to meet every two years to see what's been uh, negotiated has not been so easy to do. Few fully conform to the world trade requirements. Then I want you to look at your chart of the hierarchy of preferential trade agreements Don't want to get into that now, but it shows all four levels. Now let's move into what is a free trade area. Well, that's when two or more countries agree they're going to abolish tariffs and other barriers to trade amongst themselves. And these countries um, continue independent trade policies with those that are not involved in these agreements. Rules of origin requirements are strict. Transshipment of goods from the country to the lowest tariff to the other. So, um, this is always an interesting uh, subject that you need to understand. Sometimes duties can be eliminated on the day of the agreement or phased out over time. Here's a case in point Chile and Canada. They had a free trade agreement in 97. So, a Caterpillar tractor that was manufactured in Canada could be shipped to Chile duty free. That same U.S. made tractor could not be shipped through Canada, Chile, because the "Made in the USA" label would bring about thirteen thousand bucks in duties. No wonder the U.S. negotiated its own agreement with Chile in two thousand and three. There's others: European Economic Union. That's the EU plus Norway, Liechtenstein, and. Ireland, the group of three, the G3: Colombia, Mexico, Venezuela, U.S., South Korea, Panama, Colombia, etc. Okay, the next type of trade agreement is the customs union, which was an evolution of free trade areas, eliminated internal barriers to trade, and established common external barriers. The examples are EU and Turkey, and Community. Masur, CARICOM, Central American Integration System. The EU and Turkey's customs union boosted two way trade above the annual level of 20 billion, eliminated tariffs averaging 14%, which added 1.5 billion a year to the cost of European goods imported into Turkey. Common market includes the elimination of internal barriers to trade as in free trade zones. It also establishes common external barriers to trade and allows for the free movement of factors of production such as labor, capital and information. Current Central and South America custom unions uh, may involve intercommon markets. It includes the elimination of external barriers. Establishes common external barriers to trade as in custom units allows for the free movement of factors of production labor capital and information as in common markets and then it coordinates and harmonizes economic and social policy within the union so you see moving up from common market is economic union next on economic union is the full evolution They're trying to create a unified central bank, central single currency, common policies for all on agriculture, social policy, transport, competition, mergers, taxation, which would eventually lead to a central government in time. But right now, one thing that has held it back is there is no constitution. Until then, they cannot take this all the way. In this chapter, you had a chance to see where we stood on exports and imports, or at least as far as our partners go in 2016. I'm not going to talk about that. Look at the chart, please, in your textbook. Let's talk about Latin America, the SICA, the Andrean community, the Monsoor, at the Car- Caracan. That is talking about the Caribbean, Central, and South America. This area has had a history of no growth, inflation, debt, protectionism. It is now giving way to free markets, open economies, and deregulation. However, there's concern with the rise of left-leaning politicians. Certainly, this area has size and resources which appeals to companies in the United States. The fact that there are free markets, open economies, and deregulation uh, that are replacing the policies of the past It looked like Cuba was going to be a trading partner and things were changing, but uh, Trump's uh, administration shut that down. So um, policymakers have recognized the benefits of free market forces down in Latin America, and that is uh, helping stimulate trade. Now let's talk about North America and the NAFTA income and population. There is a chapter, figure th- uh, in figure 33. Three. I want you to look at that in your book to get an idea what that is. Central American Integration System, that is also referred to as SICA. That's El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama. All are moving towards a common market with a central external tariff from 0 to 15%. They are retaining tariffs on goods produced in importing countries. Figure three four shows you the SICA income and population for the Central American Integration System. Again, look at that chart. Essential American Free Trade Agreement. The members are El Salvador, Honduras. Guatemala, Nicaragua, Costa Rica. They joined the Dominican Republic and the United States. 80% of U.S. goods, 50% of agricultural goods are duty-free, reducing paperwork, which is huge for any company that does trade internationally. Uh, Critics of the agreement note that those countries that have signed are not complying with international labor standards low wages, poor working conditions. Uh, As one Guatemalan analysis remarked 10 years ago, when I see a Salvadorian beer on sale in Guatemala and Guatemala beer on sale in El Salvador, then I'll believe trade have been liberalized and integration is a reality. In other words, there's a long way to go. It's uncoordinated and efficient and costly tariff still exists. On such things as coffee, sugar, alcoholic beverages. But these are positive steps in this trade area. The Andrean community that comprises of Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, and Purdue. In 2019 is the 50th anniversary, last year. So they're, they're a union, uh, a customs union, which abolished foreign exchange, fiscal and financial incentives, export subsidies, lower. Tariffs and the established common external tariffs because they're blessed near the equator. Ecuador's cut flower industry generates millions in sales each year. Flowers from Ecuador, Colombia, Bolivia, Purdue are imported, in, imported into the U.S. duty free. But certainly, uh, Congress has tried to encourage them to uh, cultivate ornamental flowers rather than plants or uh, products that are part of the illegal drug trade. And certainly Purdue is uh, benefiting from surging d- demand and high prices for something called maca, a native vegetable root that grows only at high altitudes and origins traced back to the Incas. And now it's uh, supposedly based as, uh, on the ancient reputation for medicine and aphrodisiac, cancer fighting. It's a hot commodity in China and Japan as well as in the U.S. where you can find it in Whole Foods, sold as Incan superfood. So these are types of things that are becoming hot products. Next, let's talk about the common market of the South, Mersor, M-E-R-C-O-S-U-R, comprised of Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, Uruguay, Venezuela began back in 1995, custom union seeking to become a common market where they eliminated Internal tariffs established common external tariffs up to 20%. EU is the number one trading partner of the Mariscar. Bolivia, Chile, Ecuador, Peru, they're associate members, but they they do participate in the free trade, but not in the customs union. 2016, that was the 25th anniversary of this treaty. uh, Internal tariffs were uh, weeded out and they, they actually operate as a customs union rather than a true common market. 90% of their goods are freely traded. Individual members can change both internal and external tariffs. When it suits that government, uh, it depends on the outcome of their regional cooperation, but signs have been positive. Unfortunately, Brazil's currency being devalued in 95, again in 99, a crisis is over there. Uh, it's an area we have to keep an eye on. Look at figure 3.5 and understand uh, the Masur Sor- and Andrean community, income, and population. Next, we discuss the Caracan. Founded in 73 by 15 members, 17 million, uh, strong population, unfortunately stagnant for 20 years. Members are Antigua, Barbuda, Bahamas, Barbados, Belize, Dominica, Grenada, Cayer, Haiti, Jamaica, Montserrat, St. Kitts, Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent, Gradines, Suriname, Trinidad, Tobago. Total population. As mentioned previously, 17 million, 15 members. Uh, I know a little bit about Jamaica having uh, vacationed there last spring and heading back there to this coming spring. And uh, I can tell you that uh, tourism is big in this area. Pacific, Asia Pacific, the Association of Southeast Asian Countries. Brunei, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Maramar. Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam. You got the Asian plus six. That adds in Japan, China, Korea, Australia, New Zealand, India. All are working towards an economic community for all members. China, um, Asian, uh, established in 2010, removes 90% of tariffs on traded goods. Look at figure three, seven, please, in the textbook again. These figures need to be studied. Singapore, world's second largest port. It is second highest standard of living behind Japan in that region. 5.4 million, 95% literacy, over 3,000 companies. Crime is non-existent. Singapore has transformed itself from a British colony to this incredibly vibrant 240 square foot industrial powerhouse. They have the infrastructure, The citizens uh, have the uh, knowledge and will to win. That is their belief. The country with the most knowledge will survive and thrive. Excellent training programs That high literacy rate, as mentioned previously. There are more engineers per capita there than in the United States. Their Economic Development Board actively recruits businesses. That's why there's a who's who of global marketing companies located in Singapore. Hewlett-Packard, IBM, Philips, Apple, and more, over 3,000 operations. Next, the European Union it initially began with the 1958 Treaty of Rome. The goal was to harmonize laws and regulations so good services, people, and money could flow freely across national boundaries. Ninety-one, a treaty set the stage for a transition to an economic union with a central bank and a single currency, the euro, in 2002. Lithuania joined the eurozone in 2015. This traces back, includes members, the original members, the six, were Belgium, France, Holland, Italy, Luxembourg, and West Germany. Then in 73, Great Britain, Denmark, and Ireland were admitted, followed by Greece in 81, Spain and Portugal in 86. And then, beginning in 87, the 12 countries set about the difficult task of creating a single market in goods, services and capital, trying to create this true economic union. And so uh, they adopted the single European Act, uh, which was a huge uh, achievement. And the council ministers adopted over 200 pieces of legislation and regulations. Well, the past 15 years, EU enlargement has been the story. Cyprus, Czech Republic, Estonia, Hungary, Poland, Lithuania, Malta, Slovak Republic, Slovenia became full members, Bulgaria, Romeo, Croatia. The 28 nations are home to over 450 million people. It's the world's largest economy, more than 15 trillion in combined GDP. However, as you read in the first chapter, and I assigned you to study it, Brexit, uh, came about and the Great Britain decision to leave the EU, Brexit. 28 countries will go 27 as England is currently right now today figuring out what they're going to do. That's why much of this lesson is focused around that because Nothing talks about global trade agreements like what is the impact to the citizens there. And so I've layered in some assignments uh, to watch the movie on Brexit, to study the case, to write a paper, a uh, one-page executive summary, and then the opportunity to ask questions of British citizens at the end of our module. That is the Economic Union. Now let's move on to the Middle East. Afghanistan, Bahrain, Cyrus, Egypt, Iran, Iraq, Israel Israel, Jordan, Kuwait, Lebanon, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Syria, the United Arab Emirates, Yemen, its primary Arab, many Parisians, some Jewish. 95% Muslim, 5% Christian, and Jewish. World variation in economic freedom rankings. Bahrain is 18, UAE 25, Saudi Arabia 77. Oil prices drive the commerce in the area. 25% of the world's oil is located in the country of Saudi Arabia. Arab Spring 2011. Gulf Cooperation Council, key regional organization, Uh These guys drive the oil business. Entrepreneurs with ties to Syria began returning from Lebanon and the United States that helped spark a consumer culture. In Damascus, for example, you're starting to see signs of economic rebirth. This came about when when President Barack Obama lifted some sanctions and named an ambassador to Syria. So you're seeing Ford, KFC, Bennington, etc. starting to move in that area. Next, the Gulf Cooperation Council, established in 81 by six countries, 45% of the world's oil, only 18% of the output. These countries are trying to diversify their industries. You have Africa, 54 nations over three distinct areas. Republic of South Africa, North Africa, Black Africa, or Sub-Saharan Africa. Arabs in the north are totally different politically and economically from the rest You have MENA, Middle East and North Africa. That's viewed as a separate regional entity. Regional agreements, there's three. Economic community of West African states, East African cooperation, South African development community. That's 11.7 million square miles or three and a half times the size of the U.S. 54 nations, only 1.3% of the world's health, 11.5% of the population population. Average per capita income ranges from $1,505 in sub-Saharan countries to $7,800 in North African Middle East regions. By January 1990, tariffs on 25 items manufactured in this area has been eliminated. They are, we are seeking ways to uh, increase our uh, global marketing in this uh, trade sector. For example, in recent years, Guyana has uh, performed impressively uh, deals around oil, gas, and minerals. China so- has signed deals with the region that are worth at least $15 billion. East African communities, Kenya, Uganda, Tunisia, Rwanda, and Brunei are the five nations that comprise the newest common market. Anyway, I want you to have an understanding of each of these. I'm not going to give you a test, which requires you to have minute knowledge. I'm looking for a general understanding of each of these major trade zones and organizations. That's it. I know it wasn't an easy podcast. There's a lot there, but it's necessary you do learn this so we can move on. Thank you.